Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for our sixth episode of the Ep Executive Athletes Podcast. Um, we've received some tremendous feedback already on the first five and just really trying to get better with each additional one. So thank you very much for the feedback. And, you know, I've actually had a number of get new guests referred to us and it's, it's actually been an amazing journey so far, even though I'm only five or six in, but I've learned probably more about myself and more about what really makes people tick in these um, first five or six interviews that we've done so far. So thanks for listening. Um, again, same format as before. We're going to go raw, unedited. Like I said, none of us are professional radio people or TV people, but our actually next guest is, but I'm not. So you may hear, again, some ums, you know, as you likes, and they get better each, each episode. So bear with me. I think we're headed into a good direction with the podcast, and hopefully you enjoy. And so this next guest is telling you a little bit about she is a rock star in the TV world, in the production world, but her name um, is Kate Milliken. And the first time I saw Kate, I'll give a little story. I was down actually at the Nantucket Project in uh, Nantucket. That's where the Nantucket Project is. And saw her speak, and she had an opportunity to be part of the Scholars Program there where it allows people to get up on stage to give the talk of their life. And Kate got up there and totally crushed it in front of the who's who of the world. And um, come to find out, she's actually she was a really good friend of mine with someone I went to college with. So I'll tell you a little bit about Kate's background. So Kate's a film and television producer and founder of Milligrace Productions, which is a company that specializes in 12 to 15 minute personal documentaries that are equal parts, This Is Your Life and A&E Biography. Um, Kate's actually worked in television for more than 15 years and beginning, beginning as a correspondent for the college cable company, um, then moved into reality-based TV, which we all know and love, <laughs> then moving to the world of alternative sports, such as snowboarding, mountain biking, and monster trucks for Outdoor Life Network, Oxygen, Fox Sports, TNT, and TNN. Actually, we were chatting about it before, and I remember Outdoor Life, and I remember Kate actually being on there. She's also been a producer for ABC's The View and for VH1, and is the creator of something that's pretty unique that we'll, we'll chat about um, in a little bit, but it's called Counterpain, and it's a web-based uh, documentary about her journey of being diagnosed with MS and battling with MS. And she then went and started the website called mycounterpain.com, which really takes the loneliness out of illness and I think that probably loneliness is probably more detrimental to healing than actually, you know, anything else. And if you can get out of loneliness, you can, you know, share stories with others. So I think we'll get deeper into that. It's probably one of the coolest things um, I've seen in a long time. And talking to Kate about MS, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with MS and there's, you know, there's a lot of stigma around it. And I think it's not really what you think it is. And we'll have Kate talk a little bit about that, but, she lives, you know, currently resides in New York, um, husband, two young children, and is a total rock star. So I'm going to open the floor a bit to Kate, and, you know, great to have her on board, but, you know, just give us a quick 5,000-foot overview of Kate Milliken in your own words. Wow, well, thanks for such an awesome intro, Ken, and I'm sort of digging your ums. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's a good thing, and, uh, and it's really nice to have such an honest conversation. Um, you know, I feel like um, it's 
it's great to be here just because um, I think that everybody, I'm now 46 years old, and I think that everybody kind of, as they get older, kind of looks at their lives, um, you know, from a 30,000 point foot view uh, in moments. And I, interestingly enough, just had an incredible conversation with a New York Times writer named Bruce Feeler, who is um, starting to explore something called the shape of your life. And he's looking at people who have gone through moments of, of adversity and come out the other side. And he's actually trying to determine if there were patterns. So, you know, I have found myself, um, I'm, I'm a really lucky person. I, I like to say that I um, have first world problems on a bed of joy. But I certainly feel like, you know, I was one of these people that ended up having a couple of what I would call monster curveballs or moments of adversity um, that where I really felt, you know, kind of taken down and how does one build, build oneself up? So I would say, you know, there were, uh, probably the most, uh, important one to talk about today is in 2006 when I was, uh, 35 and single, um, getting diagnosed with MS and that moment of kind of the world standing still is something that really set the course of, you know, the next 10 years for me. Uh, in terms of personal and professional journeys. Um, and that's great. And tell us a little bit about, you know, you've been an entrepreneur, you, you know, you've dealt with a lot of, you know, a lot of um, adversity and, but you've been, you know, a TV personality, a producer, mom, and total badass. You know, let's, let's just step into this first and then we'll get back into the other stuff. But yeah, sure. You know, what do you think you know, throughout your career, you've been probably around some of the most successful people, you know, on earth. And yeah, you know, I know from our intros and some of the things we've done and, you know, talking with, you know, a mutual connection that we have of the people, the types of people you've been in front of and what you've done. You know, what do you think makes people successful? Is it overcoming adversity? Is it, you know, is it having a better education? You know, tell me, is it grit? Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on making people successful. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I do feel very lucky because I've been completely fascinated by people my entire life. And in fact, I was a sports reporter for eight years and I was a sideline reporter and I had this shocking, shocking revelation that actually, even though I was a, a sports reporter, I actually really didn't like sports. And even though I was a college athlete and very active, you know, I wasn't a diehard sports reporter. What I was attracted to is that whole idea of human interest. So hearing when somebody says, oh, I'm so proud of my son because he worked so hard or I went through this, you know, setback and I got through it. You know, I can't get enough of those human conversations. And that's really been my fuel, specifically speaking to people in a moment of vulnerability um, and hearing how they came out the other side. But for me, I would say um, grit absolutely is something that I'm hyper aware of and Actually, it's funny. I have something with my husband that, you know, the, the world is so filled with possibility always. So if somebody is saying, oh, you know, this is never going to happen or this can't be so, I'm just not, I'm not convinced of that. And when, my, so my husband's name is Tyler and he's amazing. And, you know, we'll kind of have these moments on the porch, you know, sitting and um, reflecting on our marriage or whatever. And he'll say, yeah, you know, we have a great marriage. And I'll say, so far. Um, just because I totally believe that anything can change and in, in possibilities all around. So, um, as a result of that, I think that perseverance and grit is totally legit. Um, because there's, 
billions of people in the world. So if you can't find one solution, you really want to do something um, and you go out in the world and you find closed doors, it's not to say that there aren't other ones that can't be opened. It's just that feeling of how do you reframe to think about, okay, if this isn't working in option A, how do you go to option B? So grit is certainly one. And then the other one I would say is perspective. Because I think the power, <laughs> there are ways that you can talk about your life. Um, you know, I don't use the words like should. I don't use the word disease. You know, what's the difference between saying I would encourage you to think about versus you need to. You know, that kind of stuff is how do you reframe your perspective to believe that there's always possibility? And I feel like the people that uh, impress me the most are the ones that stay steady with their beliefs. They're good listeners. But by being good listeners, that they also have the ability um, to potentially shift their perspective. And that's something that I'm certainly aware on one-on-one -on -one conversations, whether they're on a podcast with you, um, with people who are ill or whatever, that once you start understanding other people's perspectives, um, there's enormous power in shifting your own for the better. Right. And I think, and I think a lot of that is grit is grit's really becoming a, a lost, a lost art. Um, I think, you know, sort of growing up in our generations where, you know, we're the same age. And I think grit was a major component to how many of us became successful or just sort of figured things out. And unfortunately is we're starting to live in the world of instant gratification. And I think grit yeah. is lost because of, Oh, our kids can go buy something instantly. They just go on Amazon, boom, and it shows up tomorrow instead of waiting six months because you have a paper route and you want to buy your new bike or something like right. that. And yeah, you know, it's like you were saying, it's it's first world problems that um, we're dealing with, but they're real problems of of what happens. And I think grit is grit almost needs to be taught. And as you're starting to see longer races or more and more, you know, we've chatted about Spartan or chatted about adventure racing or, you know, just going for a run or going to the gym. And I think it's almost forced adversity to create yeah. grit in yourself. And I think that's what's really starting to happen um, because yeah. a life is almost getting too easy, right? You know, people aren't, they don't have the grit to, to really drive through it and, you know, believe me, I deal with my own anxiety issues. I deal with a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it's almost, I've learned to try to use it as fuel, but, you know, it can take you out at, you know, it can take you out at the knees very quickly and really learning how to just, you know, just persevere and almost become friends with it is really, you know, what I think a lot of people do. And, you know, the most yeah. successful people are the ones who have failed the most. And I think you've probably right. seen that as well. Well, it's also an attitude change. I mean, when I started in production, I never had a lick of um, film school. I just winged it my entire career. And one of the mantras in the production world, when you were a PA, production assistant, were tough shit and get it done. So when somebody said to you, oh, can you sit in a freezing cold truck at three in the morning for three hours and make sure we don't get a ticket, you had no choice but to right. suck it up. And that willingness, you know, it's funny now that I have had a production company and hiring um, younger people to be PAs, I've actually had somebody on a three who agreed to a three-day job on day two come and say, "I didn't really, I don't really like doing this. Right. Like I'm going to quit." And and what that feels like. So I appreciate that. You know what's interesting about what you bring up, Ken, is the whole idea of grit is so forward and push, where something like um, dealing with your anxiety is a lot of acceptance, which mm -hmm. I think has a much 
softer, more passive um, response and how to mitigate that. So that's something that's been really interesting for me that in my own personal journeys of, you know, there's been a lot that I've been able to achieve as a result of perseverance and grit. I mean, I got to go to the TNT Goodwill Games as a result of calling the executive producer every 10 days for a year and a half, checking wow. in, checking in, checking in. And finally, the guy was like, dude, I'm done. You win. Right. Right. Um, but conversely, that that type of push sometimes um, when something isn't working or there is, and I'm putting this in huge quotation marks because this is another word I wouldn't really use, in the face of failure, whatever that means, um, that moment of, of coming back and reflecting and recognizing, like, whether it's your anxiety or, you know, where I might be in my life of, um, of real norm for not pushing. Right. And no. how do you believe that that's powerful, mm -hmm. you know, when you're used to doing things to get what you want? No, it's, you know, it's brute force versus sort of letting it happen, you know, sometimes too, right? And, right. And it's the fine line of, <laughs> of what came from, it's sort of chicken to the egg. Yeah, some, well, you know, it is amazing that if you put yourself in a time of reflection, how, uh, how incredible creative thoughts start to germinate and mm -hmm. also how things that may be very agonizing or painful for you get less painful, right? right? Um, no. And I think that's hugely important, especially whether you're, you know, you're dealing with a health issue. I mean, I think the body tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something in my world, it sounds like anxiety is something for you. Um, more recently for me, I've had some health issues that I've had to kind of accept that my body was given a moment of like, you need to take a moment to reflect. And, uh, and that's been really powerful. And we'll step in. And that's sort of my next question. You know, talk to me or talk to us about when you were first diagnosed with MS, you know, what, what, when you, and then some caveats from there, you know, number one, what went through your mind? Number two, how do you treat it? Do you do use medicine, nutrition? Um, yep. Number three, you know, what did you do first? You know, where did you go? And then, you know, talk about the evolution of it a bit. Sure. So um, I was diagnosed in 2006. At the time, I was 35 and I was living in New York and I was single. And it came on very suddenly. And it was really dramatic because I had um, fatigue, which is crushing and tingling in my hands. But I had a delay on my left side. Um, which as a athlete was horrible. So I was trying to get myself out of feeling bad by exercising. I went to Central Park and I was pushing on the pedals of my bike and I could not get it to go faster. Like no matter how I tried, I couldn't get a higher cadence. Um, and by the time I got to a neurologist, I, I couldn't keep my balance. So I had a whole, whole delay on my left side. And I was diagnosed with an enormous lesion on my C4 vertebrae. So MS attacks your myelin sheath, which is your spinal cord, and it leaves holes, which are called lesions. And over time, if you have enough lesions, you don't get your connectivity. It doesn't work as well. And that's why you see a lot of people have had MS for a long time in a wheelchair. And uh, the doctor was like, you have this enormity on your C4 vertebrae, and you need to go to a hospital right now. You could be paralyzed. And so it's very dramatic. I had a steroid, massive steroid infusion. Um, I got my mobility back but I still felt terribly. And I was lucky enough to go to an incredible team at Mount Sinai, who I still see today. Um, and they gave me a conventional treatment, but I still felt bad. And so I said, you know, is this the side effect of, a, of what I'm taking? And they said, no, it's the nature of the illness. Like if you're holding a glass with MS, um, we can't help you. But if you drop the glass, we can help you. 
And that's just the nature of the illness. And at that point, I wasn't ready to believe that my life was going to be so compromised. So I ended up, you know, again, in the, in the world of well-connected, you know, friends who really want to help who happen to be connected. I was put in, in front of a cocktail, you know, a cocktail or an evening with Mark Hyman um, at the time who was brought to me. And Mark Hyman um, turned me on to an osteopath named George Kessler, uh, who's in New York, who said to me, I don't really care that you have MS. Why do you have it? It's an inflammation of the nervous system. And why are you inflamed? So he found a bad bacteria issue in my gut, a microbiome issue, and heavy metals in my system. And he said, look, I'm going to put you on a supplemental regimen, and we're going to kick out the bad bacteria. We're going to re-inoculate the good bacteria. We're going to rebalance your system. And ideally, you're going to heal yourself. And then he said, listen, Kate, I've learned in med school that you cannot reverse myelin damage. But in my practice, I have seen it, and I would plan on it. And I remember leaving his office being like, I fucking love you. Because there was such a sliver of hope and possibility, which is something that I just realized is so important in anybody's journey of adversity. Poss you know, something to look forward to, something to focus on um, as an athlete or someone who's sick. So I took my conventional treatment, I took my supplements, um, and I put this post-it on my mirror, and I said, I'm going to reverse my own lesion. And when I love my doctors at Mount Sinai, they're amazing. But when I went to them in 2006 and I said, I'm taking all these supplements, they were hugely skeptical. Um, and I didn't care. So a year um, after my diagnosis, I had my year-long MRI. And because I'm a video producer, I brought a camera crew because I was so convinced I was going to reverse the lesion. And when they pulled out the MRI, there was nothing there. Wow. And it was such a moment because now in 2018, they are showing there's a correlation of the microbiome with MS. They're doing some amazing studies on it, in fact. Um, and they also show that you can regenerate myelin. So I was just like incredibly lucky to be ahead of the curve. But whether this is a blessing or a curse, I mean, I literally um, was told that it was physically impossible to do something and I did it. And that has set me on the course to believing that anything is possible. So well, in most cases, that's awesome. I know. And then in some cases, I'm like, oh, my God, because, uh, because it, it sets you higher and higher in your aspirations. Yes, visualization. And, um, you know, there's a, a film I saw in the past couple months, Heal, which has just come out. Have you seen it? No. It might be worth you seeing because they talk about, they talk to a lot of the people in the, what they call the alternative space, but I'll say the complementary space where they really talk about the power of um, really understanding what's going inside you, you know, dieta, you know, whether it's water, whether it's social support around you, or whether it's the food that you take in, um, combined with visualization, um, how powerful that is. And I literally chanted to myself a thousand times a day, reverse it, reverse it, reverse it, reverse it. And I remember how it felt, um, the kind of self-generated, like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm so excited. What if I actually did this? Um, and that's been really, really powerful. I had a friend of mine, very similar story. He went, it was in a helicopter crash and mm -hmm. burnt off, you know, most of his face in terms of skin. And they were saying it would never regrow, never regrow. And he wouldn't listen to him and just, you know, mm -hmm. physically willed the skin up, you know, mentally or emotionally willed the skin back to grow. And it's just, yeah. it's the power of your mind is, 
is is amazing and probably scary at at, at the same time. Of really, well, you know, and, and modern I, medicine is really only fifty years old, right? Is or a hundred? Yeah. You, know, you can say a hundred, but in reality, it's really you know fifty or probably even less. You know, thirty years old. You know, it's gonna be. It's imagine what we're gonna be able to tap into moving forward. Well, I'm excited. There are certainly in the MS space, which I can speak to. There are clinical studies that are really trying to um, understand uh, all of that stuff in terms of you know diet and things that people can do for their own wellness. And for me specifically, I think the thing that I'm most excited about is research that's beginning to show the power of peer-to-peer -peer support because I know that. That moment when I was diagnosed, um, I have never felt more lonely in my life. And all I wanted was one moment of emotional relatability from someone who, is, who had been living with MS who could say, Kate, you're, I know you can't walk right now. It looks like your life's over. Um, but your MS is going to stabilize. And not only that, you have the potential to have an enormously kick-ass life. And what would have happened if I had found that person in the first week? How would that have affected my healing? And after my MS diagnosis, I decided that I wanted to kind of put out um, what I would have wanted to find. So as you mentioned in the intro, I put out um, a site called katescounterpain.com, um, which can only be viewed on a desktop or a laptop because it's built in Flash. But it's 40 minutes about my first year with MS, 32 little mini films. Um, and you end up seeing, you not only get to see the reveal, you know, you can see when I'm diagnosed and you can see the reveal when the MRI comes out. You can also see the guy that I madly fell in love with. Um, I got married. Um, I've had two kids and how lucky I am. Um, but I threw it out there uh, to 100 people because I felt like I really wanted to put it in the universe. And a few years later, you know, the met metrics are, you know, 70,000 unique visitors found this platform and 65% watched all 40 minutes of my story because of this idea of watching the, you know, not only being emotionally vulnerable in the face of adversity very publicly, um, but introducing possibility. And I probably get two, three phone calls a week from people who are newly diagnosed, especially women in their 30s that think it's over. Right. Like, oh, I'll never sure. get married. I have a debilitating disease. Really? Am I, you know, am I debilitated? Not at all. You're actually right. you know you're allowing it, you know, to actually to thrive. And and I'll tell let's I'll tell everyone a little bit about my counter pain and you know, I'll let you go into more detail about it. But it's a community of people diagnosed with different illnesses and like just like you said, it allows them to connect. It allows people to be open and, and it takes the loneliness out of fighting or fighting the battle of illness. You know, both, yeah. I think you, you guys were talking about expanding, you know, some different aspects to it, but from all different types of, you know, chronic diseases, not terminal diseases, yeah. but chronic that you, you know, that you can have. And you know, probably a lot of them are autoimmune diseases and a lot of them are, which crazy is inflammation based. You know, well, yeah. many studies have shown that, you know, loneliness is almost worse than the disease itself. Tell us a, a bit about that. I'm so glad you said that because um, more and more it is being proven um, that loneliness kills. So, um, you know, no matter who you are and what you're dealing with, everybody has experienced um, a feeling of loneliness. In fact, if you go into a room, one in three people are kind of hitting that benchmark. And, you know, um, the number of people that, that deal with this, you know, it's more than cancer, it's more than diabetes, and they're, they're showing that... Um, when you feel lonely, it's actually having molecular effects. So 
it is, if anybody who's listening has been through a moment of total crisis, especially in the realm of sudden death or illness, I think are like the most poignant, but it can go losing your job. Um, you know, I, the way I describe it is when these moments have happened to me, everything goes in a slow motion and everything that's material and circumstantial um, starts to feel irrelevant. And there's just this feeling of, oh my gosh, I want to connect on some level of understanding. So um, I, I created my mycounterpain.com, which is different than Kate's counterpain, with the idea that if you can introduce somebody into a community um, to be vulnerable and connect them to somebody who gets it, that you can start that journey of healing. So we set out to create the first library of firsthand moments of actually living in illness that was searchable. And we have a storytelling tool that asks people to lay out their story of illness in these kind of emotional data points. So you have to pick 13 emotions and a date and why you feel that way. And what comes out is a visual graph of your emotional journey and it breaks the whole story into moments. So now I can go on to mycounterpain.com forward slash MS and I can say I want to find a 40-year-old who's in New York with relapsing remitting MS, um, who's on Tecfidera, who's scared. And what will come up is not long, blathering, 15-minute YouTube videos, but moments that fit that criteria. Because more and more, it's clear to me that if you can have one moment connected with somebody else, it can jumpstart your journey of healing. Right. Oh, and it's, and it's huge. And I think that's a uh, connective connectedness. We, we think we're in the most connected world of all time. And I think we're probably right. more in the loneliest world of all time. I know the isolation that it brings. Connect. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's really, really powerful, powerful stuff. What do you, you know, how do you feel the role, you know, of athletics and health and wellness play in, you know, both personal and professional success? And, you know, I'll preempt that with, you know, you've been, you're uh, an all-American lacrosse player, but, you know, you've had, you know, your hip replaced and you've dealt with MS and, you know, how do you, you know, how do you keep going when, you know, a lot of people say, I need to be motivated to go do this or to go do that. I'm almost like, you're, you're probably motivated <laughs> or not, how do I say it is, you're, you probably need more motivation to stop than you do to keep going. So hmm. talk about, you know, talk about how you know, exercise or athletic or health or wellness play in professional and personal success? I, well, look, I'm so glad I was a team player. I think there were so many lessons I learned. I'm certainly a type A competitive person. Um, and I think that the lessons of being on a team when you're frustrated, when, you know, someone takes a shot, you know, they shouldn't have, or they miss the ball, or, you know, they're, they're just, you know, making a choice to pass the ball can feel so good. Like a lot of really great lessons. You know, pre-MS, I definitely push myself um, full on. So, you know, one of the things I think about is I never gave my body a break leading up to my MS. So I'd be in New York, I'd get up at 5.30 in the morning, I'd bike 40 miles before breakfast at, you know, a 20 mile an hour pace, I'd go produce all day, I'd take a shower, I'd go out on a date, I'd drink a bottle of wine, and I'd do it six days in a row. And um, in that in that MS diagnosis, I really had to scale it back. And in the past few years, you know, I've had to learn um, of how to kind of balance it. So my exercise regime has been, you know, moments of pushing it, you know, twice a week of going full on. 
Um, but allowing myself to just be a little bit more gentle um, on it and also finding power in that. You know, if you are in a, you know, minute-long warrior two pose, what is the strength in that? And how does that compare with powering up a hill, you know, in a Peloton, right? right. They're totally different, but they're both equally powerful. So it's been, it's been nice to allow myself the possibility of push and pull a little bit. Um, and this year, you know, I, I was a big runner and you're right. Last year, um, I realized there was some bone on bone cartilage in my hip. Um, I also have hip dysplasia. So I had it taken out, um, in, uh, in January and in the past couple of years, you know, anyone who has worked on a startup is working on a startup knows how relentless it is. And in a lot of ways in the past few years, I've been following a similar pattern that I was doing pre-MS. So I was getting up at four um, to power through, you know, startup stuff, then taking my kids and working all day, then taking my kids and working at night, trying to find time for my husband. And um, it's funny, this year it's sort of caught up with me. So I've had the hip replacement and it's not, the hip is healing great, but my alignment is all off. Um, I have had an ongoing kind of respiratory thing. And then to kick it off, uh, a month and a half ago, I found out that I have some hearing damage on the high frequency end. And um, the good news, I don't know if anyone is on listening to this and you're having a hearing issue, you need to know that if you have high frequency damage, you're blocking your brain from the ability to process the clarity of words. And the more that your brain is blocked from a hearing correctly, the more it atrophies. So heads up, if you've been like blowing off going to an audiologist, it's a worthwhile endeavor. Um, when I went, the woman said, you found your damage quickly, and as a result, your brain's going to come right back, um, but you're going to have to wear hearing aids. Wow. And I thought, what, what the hell? Like, I'm 46, and it was not lost on me that I had spent years with MS specifically. It's a, um, an illness for a lot of people that has invisible symptoms. So I can, you'll never know that I have MS. I can choose to tell you if I have it. But here I am now with uh, a disability that people can see. Um, and this has been a moment for me and my startup where I've had to kind of look at the bigger picture and take a little bit of a step back and be like, um, the universe is showing me that I need to um, scale it back and get my alignment in order and get my, you know, get my cough better and then build from there. So I'm actually in a period of, um, of not trying to push and score the goal, right? right. And, and learning the power of that. And it's been really hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, but the moments where I'm at peace and the moments that I really am present feel amazing. No, and that's hard for a type A person that grew up it in the is. Northeast. It's, you know, Indeed. we're taught go, go, go 24-7. And if you're not go, 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 it's sort of the old Puritan work ethic, you're not going to perform. And I, right. you know, like I say, you know, sometimes my, when I'm frustrated with my business or anything, it's, it, it never really comes together until you say, sort of screw it and throw your arms up in the air, you know, for a bit. Right. And then it's like, or just step back, be like, yeah. I can't figure out the problem right now. And that's okay. But I well, think there's like something, you know, Go for it. I will say that the, um, that probably you and I have in common also with, with other athletes is, you know, there is that feeling of not giving up in the face of it being difficult. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't you think back to all those wind sprints? I was actually thinking we used to do one called the snake, which was, uh, you know, you jog 25 yards and you'd sprint across the field and then you jog 25 yards, you'd sprint back. 
and what it felt like in those workouts to suck serious wind. And then the coach to be like, and we're doing it again. Right. Right. So I do feel like that mentality of, you know, in a time of pain, uh, whether it's physical, whether it's professional, um, to be like, I'm in pain and we're just getting started. Right. Like there's a, you know, you can combine pain with possibility and have it be um, not a dead end. And I guess that's what I would say that the athleticism of, you know, recognizing that things get hard and sometimes you're losing and you might win and you might not. um, Those have been really valuable lessons for me. Well, and two, some, you know, they say sometimes you have to, you know, it's not hitting rock bottom, but it's how high you bounce. But sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to then figure out, all right, you know, what am I, what am I going after? What I'm really, is what I'm chasing for me or is what I'm chasing for what I think society needs? It's a great question. That's a, uh, those are two things, you know, two questions I grapple with all the time. It's like, am I I doing this for me or am I doing this for society because they think I should be doing this? And Well, you also think about, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say from our parents' generation, they were very, you need to go to school to be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. And no matter what, that was it. And you weren't allowed to sort of go in your own direction. I think, you know, the Gen X, the Gen X um, generation that you know you and I are in the middle of, we straddle the the generation of our parents' generation, but also of our kids or the millennials. And yeah. I think we're the you know we're the connector between the two because we know how to use technology the right way, but we mm-hmm. also know that in order to make money, you have to get up and get a paper route, right? In order to buy buy your own stuff and. Um, I'm sort of losing my train of thought of where I'm well, going. Well, I was this, just going to say, you know, our, our mutual friend, Peter Bish, um, who has worked with me as a partner um, on my counterpain, we always kind of crack jokes about the whole idea of like, what do you tell people at a cocktail party, right? right. You know, um, and how do you quantify what you're doing, right? So I can go to a party with my counterpain and I would, you know, more than anything, I would love to say, you know, we're, we're allowing people with chronic illness to lay out their moments based on how they feel. And by being vulnerable over time with people who get it, um, we watch people heal each other. And, and of course, you can go to a very uppity cocktail party and they're like, that sounds ridiculous. You know, I could go to that same cocktail party and be like, we're out to create the first psychosomatic pharmaceutical company. Right. People are like, what are you talking about? Um, but I think that the whole idea. And I, I know this is something that you're working towards because you're so honest about it of what do I want this career to be? What do I want executive athletes to be? How do I quantify it? And how do I build it? You know, like what is it and right. what it is is real and does it help people? Of course it does. And I think that more and more it's been brought to my attention of, you know, making an impact in a meaningful way to people and educating and enlightening and changing their perspective um, in this day and age, I think is where it's at. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you can get through all the all the stuff passing you by, and somebody's paying attention and has a moment of reflection as a result of what you put into the world, um, and even may go so far as to make change, that's incredible. Like that's a feat in itself. I mean, think about the fact that a click rate. I don't know if you know anything about email marketing, but oh yeah. If you send out an email, you're hoping that maybe 20% will open it and 2% will click it. No, it's 2%. crazy. It's too, and, right? that's, and that's what your whole, you know, your whole life is focused on. And I think, 
again, you know, sort of, and I, and we talked a little bit about the crossroads with my counter pain too. Sometimes yep. you have to take a step back to realize where, you know, where, where it's moving forward. And again, you know, I think we're both on that same journey of, all right, where does this go next? Or right. you know, do I, do I take a break for a little bit and see, you know, what is, what is it or what isn't it really? And it allows right. you time to reflect and really see, you know, direction of, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense for you because it's really, right. you know, it's, it's really that, right. It's, you know, they're passion projects. They're things. Well, it can we be love. you and it can be the business, right? Yes, so, exactly. so my counter pain in the next couple of weeks, in this iteration of my counterpain.com is going to dim. Um, and uh, it's not to say that, the, you know, I am, I've never been more convinced that the storytelling methodology we've created, the technology is insane because the content you get when you have people being vulnerable, um, it's just astonishingly powerful. Um, but you're right. You know, that feeling of, you know, when I made that decision of, okay, if I look at this, I'm a for-profit entity. Um, we have growth and we have, we have users that are so engaged that we crush Facebook. Um, but they're not growing really fast. And when you speak to investors, that's all they want to hear. Or they want to hear about your very clear revenue model. And, um, you have to take your heart out of it. So it is true of, you know, professionally letting this iteration of my counterpain dim, I think is a, is a really powerful thing. Personally, it's been agonizing. Um, but I also have found myself in this time of um, having people step into my path, talking to them um, and thinking about how we could make it more streamlined and better. Um, it's actually pretty exciting. So I don't think it's totally over yet. It just may come out in a different way um, in the future. Perfect. Maybe. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if you're telling, you've done everything, it seems like, you know, all of, from all over the map professionally, it seems. And again, I'm still, I'm sure you're just at the beginning, but if you're telling a budding professional, someone who's just coming out of their school or even in their twenties and thirties or someone that's stuck, that's really looking to take, you know, take the next step in their, you know, personal or professional performance, what would you tell them? I would tell that person to really think about, um, you know, um, what they love, uh, what their strengths are, what they think about. I mean, I think there's a way of kind of getting to what kind of work do you want to do um, that becomes very kind of philosophical and, and in the moment. You know, I, I feel like it's, you know, if you spend time talking to somebody, like I recently was at lunch with somebody who has been wobbling kind of in her career for a long time. She just hasn't had anything steady and she's been apathetic about it. Um, and she loves her dog, loves her dog and admitted that, you know, she loves animals. Right. And that whole idea of taking a nugget like a pet or an animal and building through, how do you take what you know you love and think about it in a much more practical way? So you know, you live in North Carolina, what are the, you know, 10, you know, pet agencies that are around you? Um, and I, I found one thing that as a result of being freelance for a long time, um, having my own production company and being an entrepreneur, that diligence in contacting people um, turned out to be one of my strong suits. So that if you take a nugget of something that you love and you really think through places that do it, and then you really think through how you can find people who, you know, work there, and then you really think through how you can reach out to them, and then you think through how you tell them who you are, 
doors open up left and right. And that's where that sense of possibility is like, if you want to work with animals, do the work, you know, and right. it's, it's do the work enough of like, do you, you know, hi, Facebook friends. Does anyone know anyone that works with animals? I'd love to talk to them. And I had some amazing experiences as a, as a freelance reporter. I would actually go back to my schools. I went to Connecticut College in Groton. I would call the alumni department. I would ask them for a list of people that worked in television. I would cold call all of them. And as a result of that, you know, there were times where I was able to get some leads or some business, potential business opportunities. One time I met a guy at ABC who had nothing for me, but his son was the drummer from Blues Traveler. Nice. Like, Amazing. We had an amazing conversation. So I feel like the power, I think ultimately people want other people to be happy. And I think that if you reach out to people in a smart way to start exploring something that makes you happy, they want to help. And sometimes it just looks like this empty blank sky. And if you break it down methodically, it actually becomes easy if you're willing to do the work. Well, and people, you know, in, in, and I, I was actually at, you're talking about the college, I was actually speaking at one of my networking college alumni events about net, the power of networking and, you know, talking to even college, talking to college kids, but it could be with everyone else, is yep. there is power in being vulnerable. There's power in being a beginner. If you walk in and admit that, hey, I'm looking to break into the TV business or I'm looking yeah. to do that, what would you tell someone that would break in, you know, and this is a question I'm sure you would, you were probably asking, what do I need to do to break in at ABC or NBC? And people will tell you, they want to teach people. They want to give knowledge and right. people inherently, no matter what everyone. Okay. So maybe there's 1% of people who don't, but most people want to help other people out. And that's, and if, and if you realize that it takes a lot of the fear out of it versus, yes. you know, where a lot of people think that cold calling is the worst thing ever. They're all going to hate me and everything else. Yeah. You know, there's 1% of the people that are going to hate you. The most will probably hang up on you because they just don't have time. But if right. you ask, one technique I remember I would always use is, hey, can you, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but can you help me out? And then at that point, they'll teach you more in five minutes. And then your next call, you sound like an expert, right? It's really, it's, it's, that's the power Hum of networking, but allowing yourself to be, to be a beginner and be invulnerable. Yeah. Humility, vulnerability, plus willingness to work is an incredibly, it, it takes you, it creams you up the top, right? And it's funny, you know, that person that says, I'm, um, you know, I want to break in or whatever, what do I do? You know, if you ask people to do something and they do it, um, they'll get there. And, yeah. you know, I would certainly lead with that person who wants to get into production of, you know, send me the letter when I want the letter and, you know, uh, do that. But know that, you know, if you are really willing to be on the really tough shit and get it done, no problem. Yeah. No, It'll work great. for you. So I'm so with in, you. In closing here, we've got you know, we're about 40 minutes, but a few, you know, yep. sort of few rapid fire questions in terms of, you know, and, and I say it from an athlete perspective, but it can be technology. You know, what's your favorite piece of gear? You know, is it your computer? Is it your bike? Is it, you know, a backpack? Wow. Uh... I mean, I do, ah, uh, that's a really good question. We can come back to it. Do you have, do all right, you, come back to it. Cause I really, I, I it's funny cause I'm thinking about all the things that I use and I have to, I have to think about it. Okay. So go next. What about diet? You know, do you follow any specific diet? 
The only diet, um, I'm doing really well right now, so that gives me a little bit of freedom. Um, I don't eat dairy. Okay. That's probably it. I have probably eaten romaine lettuce, garlic, onions, and lemon every single day of my life for 25 years. Um, I just love, like, I would take a full-headed salad over um, a dish any day. Salad seems to work for me really well. I also, for what it's worth, um, feel like not having grains, it, I really get hungry. And I actually saw Mark Hyman at the Nanteca Project, and I said, I know you're not like a grains guy, but I get so hungry. And he, get, he said, I get it. Like, grains are okay, you right. know, because I'm really lean. So that's about it. I cut out alcohol completely, which actually has turned out to be a wonderful, uh, wonderful choice. I didn't think that was going to be something that would be easy. Um, and, uh, but I've really appreciated it, especially I've gotten older. Um, but that's about it on diet. And what about, what's your workout today or are you doing it? So it's funny. I am so excited to say I now have access to a lap pool. Um, and I have access, um, uh, sometimes in the early morning and sometimes in the afternoon. So, um, I'm really into taking workouts offline and, you know, doing a, you know, 2000 to 2500 meter swim with intervals and all that stuff. The flow of feels like such a joy to me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, so that's been great. I also um, have finally been getting back on the bike. So um, that's been great also being outside. And uh, I did invest in a Peloton bike, which I know every single diehard athlete, cyclist that's listening is going to roll their eyes. Um, but it actually can give you a great interval training workout, um, uh, you know, in the short term. Right. And I think that uh, proximity is awesome. Perfect. Oh, that could be. A I figured out my piece of gear. There you go. Okay. Um, then, it is a workout gear, but I'm going to tell you, I love the fact that I have a $10 um, clip on tripod for my iPhone. So it looks like you clip it onto a desk and it looks like a giant snake and it holds an iPhone. Wow. And I, t I take that tripod everywhere. So if I ever want to shoot a video for anything, um, I set up a shot that's really beautiful. And as a result of it being able to bend, um, I can do some really great shots. And I feel deeply proud of myself to have found something that's so cost effective. Um, that's been so awesome. So and it's uh, pinned to my desk right now. I'm like looking at it. Perfect. No, that's uh, that's invaluable. That's that's yep. an invaluable tool. If Perfect. you want to shoot yourself in video all the time, yes, it is. And side note, for any mother or father out there who's the family documentarian, I cannot express the power, and I hope you'll take this tip, of if you buy that tripod and once a month you roll, let's say, two minutes a month of verite footage. So I will put that iPhone um, I'll clip that tripod onto, let's say, my kitchen island. I will put the iPhone in it, and I will roll tape, and I will just roll tape of me being with my children, whether we're eating dinner, brushing our teeth, doing a puzzle for one minute, and I collect like 25 minutes during the year of just me with my kids because I'm always documenting my family, and I cannot tell you how much my children now love to go back and see that film. So. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, maybe someone will take a takeaway from that of you deserve to remind yourself how beautiful and strong and amazing you are right now um, by documenting yourself with an iPhone, 
two minutes a month using a clip tripod snake iPhone setup. I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. That is cool. perfect. Perfect. And then where, where can people find you? Um, is it Mike, you know, tell, tell yeah, us a little so bit about that. Is a great place to reach out to me directly. Um, my counterpain.com um, is still there. Um, so you can reach me there and uh, you know, I'd love to talk to anybody. I'm, I'm always deeply curious and excited to hear about the audience of Ken Lubin because every person I've met through you is totally kick-ass. Awesome. Well, thank Good you. For being, thank you. For, thank you for being part of this whole, uh, today's podcast. And I'm sure a lot of people will, you know, resonate with your story one way or the other. I think it's, you know, it's fantastic. And, you know, I'm, and you're just, you're on an amazing journey. Sounds like, you know, having a positive attitude is one of the keys to getting through this journey. So thank you very much for being part of this. You're welcome, Ken. I really enjoyed myself. Cheers. Great. Thank you.